Well, good morning. How are we? Well, amen. God's done great things, hasn't he? What a great worship time, too. Speaking of great, God has done some amazing things even in my heart this morning, and I hope yours already. I want to tell you before I get into my message, um, and in case you don't know, some of you may be uh, guests or are new, and I haven't seen you or haven't met you. My name is Pastor Scott, or Scott. Uh, you can call me anything you want, but not late for dinner. That's all I want, all right? But um, my, I have my family here. We have a first-time guest, and that's my son, Graham. This is his first time here, but uh, uh, we have, all right. You didn't know you were going to get applause today, did you? Didn't even do anything. Just showed up. Amen. That's good. I love it. Uh, I have uh, uh, our son Tanner's here and our daughter Sarah Ann. Some of you met my wife Leslie. And we, uh, we sure look forward to meeting all of you. I want to let you know about something that's going on because of uh, the, the ministry of Hyde Park, uh, our campus, Fleming Island, because we're Hibernian. Am I on? Am I good? I can stand right here. I have a hard time standing still. Uh, that's what my mom always used to say. But I'll stand still, all right? Um, Here's what I, I want you to know what's going on today. Uh, some time ago, a gentleman in the country of India um, was following after thousands of Hindu gods. And God arrested his heart, saved him. I mean, radically saved him. And to get saved in, in that country means that uh, you're, you're really giving up your family. You're giving up your heritage, possibly your life. We minister alongside a missionary in India that last year served 250-plus pastors in one area that had been beaten, imprisoned, or maimed, and families of pastors that had been killed in just one area. So it's serious when you come to know Jesus in India. And so this gentleman that I'm talking about this morning came to know Jesus and because of a partnership that uh, we enjoy at Hibernia uh, with the Indian Baptist Society and our, our International Mission Board through the Southern Baptist Convention, we have uh, connected him to a church in an area that we've been playing, praying God would allow us to plant churches. And today, um, earlier than us because of the time differences, there was a church that met for the very first time among an unreached, unengaged people group, which means they'd never heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a church that's met this morning because God has allowed us as a church to give and to partner in missions, and we have planted a church there. And guys and ladies, that's because you give and because we are trusting God to allow us to continue to plant churches among people that don't know Jesus. Amen. I'm looking forward to giving more reports. Pastor Jimbo will give more reports about what God's doing and through what we are calling our Thomas Initiative. And that is planting churches in a part of India where people don't have the gospel. They don't have radio to turn on that they can tune into a radio station to hear about Jesus. They, they don't have a church they can go to to hear about Jesus. So the only thing we can do is obey our Lord and Savior and send missionaries to that area to plant churches so that we might see them come to know Jesus. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be commissioning three mission teams from Hibernia that are going to Nicaragua, going to Israel. We're going to be sending mission teams to do ministry, to plant churches and do evangelism. And ladies, ladies and gentlemen, it's because of your giving, because of your faithfulness and your heart for missions all of these years that we've been able to do this and are going to continue to do that. And I, I tell everyone at Hibernia, when you join Hibernia, you, you ought to join knowing that, man, we, we want you to love Jesus and we want you to get plugged in to the ministry of the church. And secondly, we want you to get a passport. And I'm not kidding because I believe God's called us to the world. 
And he's called us down the street to Canterbury, right, brother, they, to this neighborhood, to, to our, our area here. But he's called, called us to the world. And we want you to be involved. And one more thing before I get into the text, and I'm going to jump into John 6 this morning, is that every year around the last weekend of February, we have a very special time together out at a place called Skeeter Ranch near Madison, Florida. We call it our Real Men's Event. And that Real Men's Event allows guys to go out early throughout the week to stay at a lodge, camp out if you want to. And then especially on the day of the event, which is the last Saturday in February, February 28th, men are able to go out and just enjoy God's creation outdoors. On a 650-acre ranch that someone in our church owns, we shoot skeet. There's uh, everything from golf to football to wagon rides to turkey shoots to target shooting to uh, NFL-type experience, football experience. I mean, everything you can imagine, you can throw axes at stuff. So if you're just mad and you want to throw something, you can do that. But the event, the event happens on that day, but the event's not that day. The event is us men cultivating relationships with guys that don't know Jesus and then invite them to come be a part of that day by hearing uh, our testimony, by sharing with them, by spending time with them, by getting in the car or the truck and driving them out there, spending the whole day with them telling them about Jesus Christ. The gospel is going to be presented out there. Dr. Herb Revis from the North Jacksonville Baptist Church is going to be preaching that day. But, guys, it is an awesome, awesome event, awesome opportunity. And so uh, next week you can go on our, our website. Just go on the website. You'll be able to find out how to sign up for it. But do this. Pray about bringing as many men as you'd like. And, guys, if you want to stay out there early, get to, go to work and, and do some work together to build some relationships with each other uh, on the ranch that week to get everything ready, you can come out as early as you like, and we'll give you more detail about that, all right? We're in John chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, I... I hope you do. Would you open them to John, the sixth chapter? And I know Pastor Jimbo left off where I'm picking up. I'm picking up in a very important part, portion of John 6. Because it's in John chapter 6 that Jesus begins to thin the crowd. You know, in our day, it seems like that what we ought to do is build a crowd. Let's get as many people together as possible. And you know what? We should to hear the gospel. We should... Seek to, to share Jesus with as many as we can. It's why we do what we do. It's a philosophy. But you know, not everybody that's in the crowd is going to heaven. Not everyone that's in the church congregation is in the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. And Jesus had a great number of people following him. And they were following him for some different reasons than Jesus wanted them to be attached to his ministry. They were following him because... They'd witnessed him heal people. He, he did, not only healed people, but he was feeding people. Just prior to the story we're about to read, Jesus fed 5,000 men. And he fed their children as well. And if their children ate as much as mine do, that was a pretty big miracle. He probably fed 20,000. And it was during this time that the crowd says, we want you to be king. We want you to be king. And why not? Uh, the government that the people of Jesus' day knew was a taking government. The Roman Empire taxed and taxed whether you liked it or not. And the taxes were increasing uh, regularly and uh, a lot different than our day. Amen, right? Or oh me. They were takers, takers, takers. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene and he's not taking anything. He's giving He's giving life, he's giving sustenance, he's giving comfort, 
He's giving teaching they've never had. They want this one named Jesus to be their earthly king. Keep giving to us. And Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with that. Something unusual happened at the end of World War II when our troops left the South Pacific Islands after our victory. They left some things behind. And some time later, years later after the war, those who visited those, uh, those kind of uncivilized islands found natives on those islands living and giving homage and worship to some of the instruments of war and even the practical uh, things of life that had been left behind. They discovered that when uh, the troops landed on the islands and they, they put makeshift uh, runways down and they built towers and, and they, they built housing, that they left some of that stuff and those became places of worship. And the natives were literally worshiping things like Bic ink pens. They were crafting for themselves makeshift airplanes and they worshiped the airplanes. They worshipped tower, at towers that were control towers. They were worshipping gods that weren't gods. They had no idea about the outside world. And when they watched civilization come into their island, they thought these must be gods. And that's what they worshipped. Something similar to that was going on when Jesus was on the earth. Men and women were watching Jesus do the miracles he was accomplishing in the power of his father. They were enjoying the benefits of being a part of his ministry. But they were not worshiping him for who he was. Instead, they were worshiping him for what he had done. They, they saw the blessing and they worshiped the blessing. But they forgot the blesser. There's not a parent here that's ever traveled and come back home where your children have met you at the door that they didn't want to see what you brought them when you went out of town. And sometimes... You know they got real excited about the gift. But you'd have a real problem if your children always, as they grew up, were more concerned about what you gave them than about the relationship you had with them, about the blessing instead of the the blesser. Well, that's what was happening in John 6. But Jesus is going to teach his true disciples a very important lesson. And that is this. Not only will he give us the bread of life that gives us everlasting life, He will also give us life in the daily experiences of living. In other words, Jesus was the bread who came down from heaven to give us everlasting life. We sang the song just a moment ago, you come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And can I just say very authoritatively, not because this is what a church says, but because this is what God says, there's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. All right? He is the only way to get to the Father. He is the bread of life, like manna, that came from heaven to earth. And if you don't have him, you don't have everlasting life. If you have Jesus, you have everlasting life. So Jesus came to give us everlasting life and to be with us so we would know what that means, but also to be with us in the experiences of life. And not all the experiences of life are, are joyful. At the time. Not all of them are happy at the moment. So Jesus has to teach his true disciples, you can trust me to give you the bread of life, and you can trust me to be with you in the bad times of life. So I want you, if you will, look with me in John 6, beginning in verse 16. It's a familiar passage, I think, but I want us nonetheless to read it and see what God has to say. 
If you don't mind, if you would stand as I read the Word of God. If you can stand, you can do that. If you can't stand, we certainly understand. Beginning verse 16. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus, look at this, walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Would you pray with me? Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus thanking you that you are with us in the storms of life. And from this text, we can draw some conclusions about your power your majesty, and your care for the details of our life. Bless, Lord, your word. I know you will. It will accomplish what you purpose. But, God, we pray we'll submit to your spirit because apart from the power of your spirit today, there is no life, and we're in darkness still. We need you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Here's what we're going to look at today. In this passage, it's real simple. Uh, It's a simple text, real simple message. Jesus was apart from the disciples for a little while. Jesus appeared to the disciples. And in this text, the disciples affirmed Jesus. So we're going to look at when Jesus is apart from the disciples, what it meant when he appeared to the disciples, and what it meant that the disciples would affirm who Jesus Christ is. All right? Apart from the disciples. Why would Jesus spend time away from the disciples? Well, there are a number of reasons. And one reason is this, and it's an important reason, and we ought to mark it down because if it was important for Jesus, it's important for us. Jesus came to be our Lord and Savior. He's far more than an example. But at the same time, Jesus is our ultimate example. I love the life of Paul. I love the life of John, John the Baptist. They set some examples for us, but we are to look unto Jesus. Why? He is our example in living. And one of the things that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done in this text is something that we should follow. He got away at time from the crowd. Anybody ever want to get away from the crowd? It wasn't very long ago that you might have been at the mall. And for some of us, going to the mall is a painful experience. And it's fun to get away from the crowd. But Jesus got away from the crowd not because he was tired of people so much, but he loved fellowship with the Father. And so what I want you to realize is that Jesus felt like and proved by his living solitude was an important discipline in the Christian's life. Getting away and spending time fellowshipping with just the Father was important to Jesus. Now, everywhere Jesus went, he was popular. There were those who wanted to be with Jesus. Children wanted to be around Jesus. Jesus was the happiest individual anyone had ever met. Children don't like to be around grumpy people. Have you noticed that? They loved being around Jesus. Now, Jesus was good in a social setting. And it didn't matter what that social setting was. It didn't matter if it was at a temple full of uh, of hypocrites, right? Uh, uh, I started to say Pharisees and hypocrisy and make that in one word and start a new word. But uh, hypocrites, or if he was in the home of sinners, right? He was good. 
It didn't matter where he was, Jesus was at home. He could care for those who were broken and had messed up their lives, and he loved them tenderly. And he could confront those who didn't see their need and lovingly draw them to himself. So Jesus was good socially. But why? Well, I believe one of the examples he's left for us is that if we're going to be anything in front of people, we have to be something behind the scenes. If we're going to be anything in public, we have to be something in private. Uh, We have to get away. Vance Havner, the old preacher, said, sometimes we have to come apart before we come apart. That's a good word, isn't it? Jesus got away from the crowd. He got away from the crowd, we know very practically, because they wanted him to become an earthly king, and that was not why he was here. He was here on earth to go to the cross. He was already the king. He got away from the crowd to spend time fellowshipping with the Father in solitude. and got apart. Then, I want you to see the reality here of the storms. Now, Jesus shows us the necessity of solitude. He also shows us the reality of storms. Storms happen, storms occur. We live in a state that's full of storms. We uh, occasionally have bad storms, right? And um, sometimes we, uh, you know, in our state have experienced the seriousness of nature, that God has created this world in such a special way that sometimes what uh, this, this world does is good for nature, not so good for us. Hurricanes, for instance. Someone has asked the question, why such devastation after a hurricane? If you've ever been anywhere where a hurricane is hit, you know that, boy, there is a lot of devastation. And so people ask, why would God allow this? And I don't have all the answers for that, but let me just make a statement so that I can lead into a lesson. Even hurricanes, even storms that we experience in Florida, like hurricanes, bring a great deal of benefit to God's creation. I didn't know this. I was reading about hurricanes and what they do for our you know, for our, our, our environment, but they clean rivers. Uh, they, they help the ecosystem to, to thrive. Uh, they thin out forests. They do things that uh, we can't do as humans. They're good. Now, that doesn't seem good if you have a house on the beach or if you have a vacation scheduled to a condo and a hurricane's coming. It may not seem good to you, but, but hurricanes have benefit, all right? And in life... We have storms. We encounter storms. And believe it or not, storms oftentimes are allowed by God, sometimes sent by God, and there are storms in our lives that are for a reason and a very good one at that. In other words, here's reality. We are all going to go through storms in life. We're going to go through storms we never thought we'd have to go through. We thought maybe somebody else would go through them. We've read about other people's experiences, but we never thought we'd be going through that storm. But you only have to live long enough to realize no one, no one's immune to storms. An old preacher friend of ours that we love used to say it this way, you're either headed into a storm, coming out of a storm, You're either going into a storm or you're coming out of a storm or you're right in the middle of a storm. And that's true of everyone here. Now, I didn't say this to bring you down because, see, Jesus sent the disciples into the storm. They're going to get in a boat and they're going to get into a very serious situation. This small lake is about 700 feet below sea level. It's right in the middle of some high mountains where cold air 
blows down from Lebanon, the, the, the trees of Lebanon, as the Bible calls it, on, onto this lake, and it makes it really just kind of a whirlpool. And the disciples are in this whirlpool with no GPS, no motors, in a small boat, and they're in the middle of this, this, this lake at night, and they have no help. And these guys have been in the situation before. Seven of them are fishermen. They fished this lake. They're experienced, but, man, they're in a storm maybe like they've never seen, and they are scared to death. And you know why they're in the storm? Do you know why they're in this storm? Because they were obedient to God. They were obedient to Jesus. You know that if they had been disobedient to Jesus, they'd not gone into the storm. They'd been safe somewhere, bunked up, in some sort of shelter on the, on the shore. They'd been safe, at least in their minds. But because Jesus said, get in the boat and go across the lake, they're in the storm. So I just want you to realize that storms are a part of life. And oftentimes they're a part of life when, in fact, you're obedient to God. Because, guys, we're all wired the same way. When things start going bad, we start asking this question. Why? God, why is this happening? What have I done? We began to think through our lives. What have I done to bring this on? Have I been disobedient to God in some way? Have I let God down in some way? Is he angry at me? Is he upset with me? What's he doing here? And why am I going through this? Well, sometimes storms do come because of disobedience. Can you think of anybody that got in trouble in a storm because he was disobedient to God? Yeah, I heard his name. Jonah, remember him? Old Jonah, he was disobedient to the Lord. He tried to get away from God, got in a boat, and a storm came up. And in his disobedience, he experienced a storm that got swallowed by a well, and God used that incredible submarine to deliver him to Nineveh so that he could preach the gospel, right? That's true. You believe that, Pastor? I absolutely believe that. That happened. So I know that if we're disobedient to God, we can get in trouble, and we will be in trouble. But I just want you to see in this text, the disciples are not in trouble because of disobedience. They are in trouble because of, of obedience. Got it? So what we know here then is, look, Jesus sends them on alone. Well, he's got, he's got some, some stuff to do. What does he have to do? It's so important for Jesus that he spends time with the Father, that he gets away from the crowd, goes off and spends time just fellowshipping with his Father. You know what's going to happen to Jesus next? You're going to read it over the next few weeks. It is some of the most devastating passages in all the Bible where disciples who followed Jesus and cried out, we love you, leave him, and reject him. And it's just the beginning of the man who came and was rejected by his own. Just the beginning for the one who's going to go to the cross and, and suffer rejection. But do you know what? Jesus, I think we need to mark this, moving into knowing he's going to be rejected. Spent time with the Father because any time we go through difficulties, it's hard. It doesn't matter who you are. And Jesus came, God in the flesh, and showed us as a human how to live. Rejection's always hard. Some of you have been rejected before. Some of you here know what that's like. You've gone through divorce, separation. There's been somebody that you really love that has stiff-armed you. There's somebody now that has nothing to do with you. There's someone right now that they, they're rejecting you. And it's never easy, ever easy. Because we're not wired to make that easy. And if it is easy, there's something wrong with us. We love people. What does Jesus teach us? Even Jesus needed to spend time fellowship with the Father to be strengthened to deal with rejection. And then he needed to strengthen his disciples by sending them through a storm. He sends them through a storm. They get out there into the storm. And what happens next is awesome. Because in this story, Jesus appears to them as the sovereign God. Look in verse 19 through 20. 
when they had rowed about three or four miles, now I want you to know they hadn't gotten very far. That's not a long way. They'd been rowing all night. They got in the boat about the time it got dark. And they uh, are rowing, and they've only gotten three or four miles. And I want you to know it's somewhere between, as Matthew says, the fourth watch of the night. So it's 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in that window. They have not gone very far. The wind's beating against the boat. They have no idea where they are, and they are in big trouble. It is at this time Jesus appears to them. In verse 19, we're told, they went three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. Now, this is wonderful. Now, Jesus just happened to get near the boat, right? He just happened to get there. He just happened to walk by. This is just a coincidence, right? Now, what we learn in Matthew is that while Jesus is praying, he knew where they were. And Mark says, listen to this, Jesus saw them. While Jesus is in solitude, fellowshipping with the Father, and they think we're all alone, Jesus saw them. Jesus is the sovereign God. I just want you to know, Jesus is not simply a man that came as a God's creation. No, no, he's not a creation. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And while he was praying and they thought, we're alone, he saw them. He knew exactly where to go. Some scholars, if you read, will say, well, Jesus saw them from the shore. He figured out where they were and walked to them. No way. The Bible says very clearly that he knew where they were. You know what? He knows where you are. And I know that we go through times where we go, I don't think God is seeing me right now. He's not listening to me. I'm praying, and as someone told me last week, Pastor, I'm praying, and I, I quit praying because I don't even know how to pray. I don't even know what to pray. It's such a difficult situation, I don't even know what to say. But in those moments, I want you to know this. There's a sovereign God who's in control of everything, and he knows you. He knows what's going on. He knows what you need before you ask. And you can tell him what you need and you can get it figured out and say, God, here's what we need. We need the wind stilled. We need the waves to set down so that we can make it across the other side safely. But that's not what the disciples needed. The disciples did not need the wind to be stilled. They did not need the waves to lay flat. They did not need to make their way to the other side. What they needed is exactly what they had. Jesus Christ. And he was with them all the time. And I don't know where you are today, but somebody's either in a storm, coming out of one, or headed into one. And let me say this to somebody who's headed into one. Times like this, when we come to church, when things are going pretty good, that we don't listen as intently as we maybe should. And I'm speaking to myself. Can I preach to myself a little bit? But I've heard that before. I know this story. Jesus walks on the water. And pastor, this is, I know this story so well because I know over in Matthew, Peter gets out of the boat. Remember that, pastor? He gets out of the boat and walks with Jesus. And Peter gets his eyes on the waves and the wind and takes his eyes off Jesus and sinks down. I know that lesson. Keep your eyes on Jesus, pastor. I know the lessons. Some of you have never heard this story. Many of you know the story really well. Here's what I understand in my own life. It's very easy in the day to lose sight of the night. It's very easy and times are going well not to pay close attention. But you know, the lessons that we learn in the day are important because darkness does come. We have to learn these lessons now, learn them well, because in the middle of the storm, it's not a time to start studying. It's a time to start remembering. It really is. Some of you are in a storm right now. But Jesus sees. He knows exactly where you are. He knows where you are mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He knows. 
comes out to the disciples and he says in one of the other stories, and I want you to hear this, this story is mentioned in Matthew, it's mentioned in Luke, and so we know more about this occasion because of these lessons. And the Bible should always be interpreted with the Bible. If you want to know what one text means, the best way to cut that text is to find a knife from another text to cut it up. Not to a commentary or someone's opinion. The Bible's the best commentary on itself. And when Jesus showed up, with the disciples on another occasion in Matthew, he says, be of good cheer. Here are the disciples, right? They are going to die. They look up, they see Jesus coming. They are frightened. And one text tells us they think that he's a ghost. There's all of these stories that have been told among Jews that if you go out into the, the sea, you might, you might come upon an apparition, a demon. There are sea creatures out there. That's why we don't go on the sea much. That's why many Jews weren't fishermen. They weren't seafarers. And so they see Jesus coming. They're frightened, but Jesus says something in their fear. Hey, don't be afraid. I love that. I was reading over in Acts chapter 27 when the Apostle Paul was on a ship that was about to go down off the coast of Malta. And he was a slave in prison, but all of a sudden this slave who was the Apostle Paul is in charge of 276 men on a ship. And he says to all the men, you should have listened to me. I told you guys not to sell. You should listen to me. But anybody can say that. I told you so. But the Apostle Paul says, Yes, you should listen to me, but it's okay. Be of good courage. You know what Jesus does? And that sets another example for us. Sometimes when others are going through a storm, we can be right there with them in that storm to help them through that storm by telling them, Hey, be of good cheer. Listen to Jesus' message. Jesus' message is, It is I. And in the Greek, here's what he said, I am. It's Jesus. They thought it was a ghost, and Jesus said, oh, no, I am. Later, he's going to say in John chapter 8, verse 58, I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus calls out in his sovereignty, showing the disciples, I am God. I created all of this. I am. I have this under control. Look, I can walk on this stuff. Can you? I am. I love this. Jesus is so encouraging. He says, I am that I am. And then Jesus says, I am, be of good cheer. Look in verse 20. Mark this down. They were frightened. And verse 21, don't be afraid. Strengthening them. This is the first time the disciples are starting to understand, I think, the very deity of Jesus Christ. It's going to be very important for them. It's the first time this... Uh, event happens with them like this, they wonder about Jesus. You see, this is not the first time Jesus calms the sea. It's not the first time Jesus calms the disciples' fear while they're in a storm. On another occasion, they're on a sea, and they're going across, and a storm comes up, and Jesus is actually in the boat asleep. And they wake him up. Jesus stands, and he, he says, Peace be still, and the wind stops, and the waves lay flat. And the disciples ask this question. What manner of man is this? That the waves and the sea, the winds and the sea, obey him. They wondered. But now, they're, they're starting to get it. And they affirm who Jesus is. Their spokesman is going to make a very important statement. Look with me just a little bit further down in the text to prove my point. It's John chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus is teaching all of the people who he is. He says to them, you, you all who are wanting the bread of life, no, I, I am the bread of life. I, I am. 
You want what I can give you, and I'm telling you what I can give you is myself, and there's nothing better than that. I'm the bread of life. And many people didn't like that answer. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted what Jesus could give. Jesus knows that the disciples that are the 12, they've got to understand, I am the gift of God. I am. I'm better than bread. I'm better than shelter. I'm better than safety. I'm better than anything that you could ever imagine in your mind. So when he says this in verse 66, after these things, many disciples, look what does the Bible say? They turned back and what? No longer walked with him. See, here's the proof. The crowd did not want Jesus. They wanted what he could do for them. So then Jesus, he looks at the disciples. He says to the twelve, Do you also want to go away as well? Simon Peter, who's the spokesman, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? I love this. Peter speaks up and he says, Where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and have come to know that you are the what? The Holy One of God. Now, guys, ladies, Jesus has taught the disciples an important lesson. I am everlasting life. And I'm with you in the experiences of life. They welcome him in the boat. They bring him into the boat and they're affirmed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shunned those who misunderstood his intentions and only wanted Jesus for what? He could give to them. But he called the disciples to himself because they realized he's what they needed. And he's what everyone needed. And he's the one that needed to be taken to all the nations and broken like bread and given so that we might have life. I want to ask this question because, see, in this room, there are different people, different backgrounds, but one thing that unites us all, one thing that makes us into one body and a one family, is that we've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, here's the reality. You seek Him for who He is. There's times when we are in our fallenness seeking God for what He can give us, but the Spirit of God continually brings us back. I want Him, regardless of what He gives can't tell you the number of conversations that I've had, that I think any pastor has had, with people who've said, I'd follow God, but I, I, I don't believe in him. Well, why not? I tried Jesus, and he didn't work. And I say, well, explain that. You tried Jesus. I went to church. I read my Bible. And I asked God. I asked God to heal my sister, one man said. And he didn't do it. What kind of God is that? I asked God to get me out of a situation, another person said, and he didn't do it. A girl said, I asked God to heal my marriage. He gave me the guy. I prayed for the guy. He, he gave me that guy, and he left me, abandoned me, Pastor. I prayed God put our marriage back together, and he didn't do it. What kind of God is that? And I, I'm sure all of us can feel what they feel. We, we, none of us are above any of those conversations we have our own doubts and our own fears in life and anxieties but the difference between a true disciple 
just those who are in the crowd. The true disciple realizes, I have Jesus for who he is. I have Jesus for eternal life. And I have Jesus who will walk with me through the experiences of life. And I may not always get what I think I should get. But it doesn't matter because I have Jesus. Regardless of what else is going on, I have Jesus. And I want him. See, Jesus didn't just come to give you everlasting life. He came to walk with you through the experiences of life. The difficulties of life. The storms of life. And as one author wrote, he's looking for followers, not fans. He's, he's going to shuck the bandwagon. Are you on the, on the bandwagon? Are you a disciple? Well, here's the answer. Where else are you going to go? He has the words of life. And no matter what happens in this existence, we know he's better than anything we could ever ask for. So why storms, Pastor? Why, why, this, why this? To teach the disciples. Hey, I'm with you wherever you go. Whatever happens, whatever comes next, I'm with you. And I am better than the bread and the fish that you ate. I'm better than any gift that anyone could give. Now, th- this is where it applies to us. You ready? See, some of you here have gone through some real tough difficulties. And why? Because God's teaching you something. One of, one of the things God does for all believers is he expands our capacity so that we might have more opportunity to minister to people. And you know what Christians will go through? The same thing, same thing others in this world will go through. If a hurricane hits Florida... And there's a Christian's house on the beach and a a pagan's house on the beach. You know what? Sometimes the Christian house might get blown away and the pagan's house might still be standing. Because you know what God does? God puts storms in front of us to teach us lessons, to teach us life, to teach us that he's better than all of those things so that we might have a greater capacity to minister to those who are going through storms. When the disciples were in the storm, Jesus came and he said, be of good cheer. Right now, I want you to think, think of something, okay? Who in your life right now, in your mind, I know somebody's coming to mind, is going through a storm right now, and they need an, a word of encouragement. It just says something like this, be of good cheer. Who right now could you uh, go home and write a note to, put a stamp on it and drop it in the mail? Because you know they just need a word of encouragement. They're walking away from God right now. They're out of fellowship with the church and the Lord. Uh, they're going through a difficult time in life. They just need a phone call. They need a text. They need, they need a visit. They need you to say, hey, hey I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to take you to get a cup of coffee. I'm going to take you to eat. Who is it right now that you can walk into the storm of their life and you can do what Jesus did and say, be of good cheer? And in, invite them back to fellowship with Jesus or help them through that difficulty. See, when God takes us through a storm, we have a greater capacity, a greater care. Who is it right now that you know that's being shunned because of some decisions they're making? They've blown it. they messed up. They, they, they're ashamed to show their face in public right now. They've been in the news. Uh, people talking about them. And who is it right now that's going through that type of storm that you know what? You can relate to because we've all messed up. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. Is there anyone in here that can throw a rock? And who? We know it. Who comes to your mind right now that's going through that storm? It's a storm of disobedience. Maybe. We don't know. It's not for us to judge. Possibly a storm of disobedience. It may be very clear it's a storm of disobedience because it's real public. They messed up. 
Can we be there for them? Can we walk into their storm and say, be of good cheer? See, we go through storms, it increases our capacity to have compassion on other people. We go through storms in order to fulfill our call too. See, guys, ladies, look, look. We realize when we go through storms and we lose things, we lose jobs, possessions, friends sometimes, loved ones, especially loved ones that go on into heaven, that life is far more precious than the truck I drive, the house I live in, and the stuff I wear. Life's far more precious. There's far more to life than what we gain materially. Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. He's teaching us today the same lesson. Guys, I'm the bread of life. I'll feed you. But there's something more important than bread. It's me. Through storms, we realize when we lose things, you know what, I'm all right. I might have lost that job, that position. I might have lost some face with some people. I might have lost what I really didn't want to lose. But I never can lose. Jesus. Who is it that maybe in your life right now you're, you're looking at that's like that that you can encourage, but maybe it's you today. See, there in this room, there's, there's some of you who maybe can put yourself right there as the disciples in the boat, scared to death in the storm, saying, where's Jesus? I want you to know he's here. There's other of you, others of you, maybe, that are like the crowd. You've come to church, you've been baptized, you hope you can go to heaven. You like the things of God, you love the people of God, you love the, all, all the things that go on in the church. But you have to be honest. Your life, has never been surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never truly repented of sin, and you've never been saved. Today, you're a big fan of Jesus. Big fan. But you're not a follower. Would you today be saved? Would today, would you surrender your life and heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Would you pray with me?